Steve Martin and John Candy just met. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. They have nothing in common, except the next 72 hours. Stick with me. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Steve Martin. Where's your other hand? John Candy. Between two pillows. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Those aren't pillows. Ah! No! No! <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Old Millennials Remember Movies. Featuring Gay Panic. I'm your host, Angela Yoshiko, here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Hi, Tyler. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> that was a nice, hesitant, uh, good. I like it. Mm, I, we could explore deeper, but let's not. <laughs> let's go into my psyche for a little while. Let's not. Okay. So today, we are going to be talking about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, a movie that I have been hesitant to record for the podcast oh. because it has been a family classic in my family growing up. It's one of those where it's like, if you've watched it too much, should you do it? I mean, you know, should you critique it? Should you deep dive into it? Or should you just let it exist? And we're deciding to dig in. <laughs> yes, that's you, right. You're not helping me. No, well, I didn't want to let you finish your thought. So, yes, it is oddly, this is almost becoming the John Hughes podcast because we've done a lot of John Hughes movies this year. Hey, newsflash, John uh -huh. Hughes was big in, guess what, yeah. the 80s and 90s. Well, I have a, I have a discussion about that later. So I've, I've got a, I've got the theory. You've got a theory. Okay. <laughs> so if you are new to the podcast, welcome. We are two old millennials, Tyler and Angela, and we are old millennials because we're old, but we're still millennials. And we talk about movies from uh, the time period when we were kids, so 80s and 90s, and a smidgy into the early 2000s. I also voted 12 times in the last election. Yes, me too. <laughs> Joking. That Insert, that was a joke. I voted one time. Yes, we did vote. Just one time, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, before we talk about planes, trains, and automobiles, Tyler, for our segment, What You Been Watching, What You Been Watching? Well... Uh, we've been, you know, we watched stuff with the kids. We watched a newish new movie with the kids called Over the Moon on Netflix. And this was, it's an, it's an animated musical. And it's from, oh man, I'm thinking it's, it's someone who's either like the songwriter or the director who made like the Little Mermaid. He was a Disney guy for a while. And this is not a Disney movie. It's kind of later. Um, you know, a lot months later it came out this year. So. Um, and so it's a musical, and it has uh, several songs in it, and it is about a girl who, uh, of course, because in true animation fashion, she's lost a parent, and she decides that she wants to prove that, you know, family legend of, like, uh, people living in on the moon, uh, a goddess on the moon, she wants to prove it's true, so she um, rather quickly builds a rocket ship and ends up going to the moon. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a, you know, fantasy movie, and... Uh, a lot of music. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about it? Our kids seem to enjoy it, which is not always a guarantee when it comes to these kinds of things. They sat through the thing anyway. I really enjoyed it. I think maybe a little bit more than you. There was this like familiar feeling about the movie. I, I don't know how to describe it. It it felt like a familiar tale, but it felt just like a comfortable movie. But I liked how it had some weird music and some weird stuff that felt a little non-traditional. And I also liked how it was focusing on a, like a Chinese traditional story. Um, it's I a Chinese family, and yeah, they, and they're talking about their kind of like 
the stories that they passed down the to their family. And, and yeah. I love that because I folklore. just finished reading um, a book to Marion, and this was very reminiscent of this story. So oh, they yeah. like almost tied together, and the book we had read was about a young Chinese girl, and this was perfect. It was like a perfect tie-in of like a one-two punch. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, it wasn't like bad. It was okay. I thought the music was a little hit or miss. I liked it. Um, some of the songs. Well, yeah, yeah. What was your favorite song? You're such a jerk. <laughs> I'm just a jerk. <laughs> I was, you know, some of the songs are pretty good. Some of them I thought forgettable. Um, yeah, it was okay. It has. It's very. Once it gets to the moon, and it really kind of dives deep into kind of the fantasy elements. Um, you know, it's colorful. It's fun. It has a. It's an appealing movie to look at. So. You know, it's good. It's a, It'll probably get, like, in this weird year, it'll probably get an Oscar nomination for animated feature and get, you know, beaten by a Pixar movie. But, um, you know, it'll be in the running because there's not a lot of those, but it's definitely better than some of the other kid movies we've watched uh, this definitely. year. Although you, you just, we, we've talked about it before, the Willoughby's, you rewatched that movie with the kids the other day. They enjoyed it on a second viewing. I enjoyed it more on the second yeah. viewing than I did on the first So viewing. there you go. That was a movie I thought was um, okay to find. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I was almost disappointed the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. and then I thoroughly enjoyed it on second viewing. Well, there you go. Maybe it just needs another viewing for me. I, it might have been like the mood we were in. I didn't dislike either of these movies. I they're, right. I think that they're they're perfectly serviceable. So there you go. What I one thing I like about this movie is like the over the one moon thing I don't like about over the moon over the moon is the the killing the mom. I'm getting real tired of of youth movies killing parents. Well, we're not even going to talk about some of the other movies we watched with the kids. Where again, because it's just like in all of these things where at least one of the children or one of the parents are, is killed. Yeah, I yeah. did. So I did not like that. I felt like Over the Moon could have um, told a story, told us is equally heart wrenching or important story without using the crutch of bringing in like built-in sadness from a dead mom it's just it's a crutch i would say that uh this particular story the way it the last half hour goes it's kind of critical to the movie that this girl has experienced trauma is it yeah i mean yeah (laughs) so i mean i I don't know if we could tell the same story it'd have to be a different you could tell a similar story because i feel like even the the trauma of your parents divorcing yeah. and being separated from your family and having your broken family and then having this new family with a new with new siblings is is also an important story that I feel like a lot more kids could relate to and it would have mm-hmm. been a more interesting No, I hear you. I mean the, the beginning part is always it's just that typical Disney thing and but I did at least appreciate how it doesn't abandon that. It's not a crutch because it does factor into kind of the story that she there's a goddess on the moon who's also suffered loss, and so there. It, the, the way that the movie kind of climaxes is very dependent on these two people facing their trauma. So in that regard, I do appreciate that it went there. But yeah, when you're watching it for the first 20 minutes, it's like, oh my god, this is doing the same thing that every one of these movies does. Yeah, like how many young kids have lost a parent? I mean, un- enough. There's plenty of them out there, but it happens a lot more in movies. Like, the, the percentage of movies in which it happens is, is definitely higher. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like this this movie, because it's talking about losing a parent, is more relatable to older adults who are likely to have lost a parent. Already, yeah. Like, well, over old age, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, but that's true. Anyway. Um. Yeah, okay. Um. Speaking of Netflix, I also watched the remake of Rebecca, which was an original movie of theirs. It's made by Ben Wheatley. 
And it, so Rebecca is a, is a, is an old book and it was a very, very good, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, a movie I really like, but only had recently had not seen up until maybe about a year or two ago. It was one that I had never seen, but, uh, really, really liked it. I think it won, it was actually the movie that won best picture for him before. And it's kind of before he made some of his more famous, um, titles, but, um, yeah, I don't know what this movie was supposed to be. Um, it, 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 it's some pretty poor casting. Oh, Army Hammer's not good in it? You know, Army Hammer, I think, is in something like Sorry to Bother You, where he's playing a very specific kind of, like, supporting character. He's so much better in that than he is in these kind of stiff, leading man type romance type roles it's yeah. really quite uninteresting lily james also same she just there's there's nothing between these two and uh, i don't know i don't know I, I other than making like the putting them in like glamorous clothes and like having them walk around a, a big mansion i i don't know like because I, I don't feel like the mood of the original is is here and that was kind of what that had going for it um it definitely, you know, they're both gothic romances. I would say that it was more, the original is just more of that tone and of mm-hmm. what you want and mm-hmm. just had more intrigue. Even though, I mean, the story, it's a weird thing because the story is essentially the same. Nothing has really changed plot-wise, uh, but but it doesn't work. And that's always fascinating about why it doesn't work. Um, I don't know. It doesn't have the magic. It just doesn't. It just doesn't have the magic. So yeah, it'd be weird to you know have someone who's never seen the original and watch this and be like, well, I mean, why are they even Alfred Hitchcock made a movie of this? It's weird. It's just a. It's a weird. Uh, it's a weird thing. I didn't. Didn't I? I didn't enjoy it. Okay, so people can definitely skip Rebecca. Yeah, I would say it's not worth anybody's Stick to time. The original. Yep. Um. So then the other thing I watched uh, is uh, a movie called Mangrove, and Mangrove is the first movie in a five-film anthology by Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, uh, the director of 12 Years a Slave and, and um, Widows recently was, I think, his last movie project. Um, so he made five uh, movies that are set at the same time period. It's in It's in England. Uh, it's the black community in England. It's kind of specifically like the West Indian immigrant population that's there. And they're unrelated movies. So this one is a, uh, a kind of a courtroom drama, but the other ones are about different subject matter, kind of maybe just in that, in that area. So, uh, they are releasing on Amazon Prime weekly. The first one came out, uh, right before, you know, a few days before we record this. And then they'll be going out in three of the five screened at the New York Film Festival. But, uh, so these aren't going to be, Evidently, they're not. They're not going to be uh, like Oscar movies. They're going to put it into the TV, the TV category, even though they are movies. And this year, you don't well, have to be in, in IMDb. It's under TV. Yeah, and yeah. and when you even log into Amazon Prime, it's like small. It's called the Small Axe Anthology, and small it says so, yeah. Small Axe Season One. And it, they're not doing another season of it, but it they're regarding it as that way. And I think it's because I, well, I have a theory about why they're doing this. Um, but this year for the the Oscars, you don't have to screen in theaters because of the pandemic. They've changed the rules a little bit, right? And Steve McQueen is an Oscar, you know, he's made the Best Picture winner. <laughs> uh, and these movies are, I mean, the first one is Mangrove, and it's uh, terrific. It's one of the best movies of the year, I would say. Um, and I, my, I suspect the reason that they're doing this is that probably uh, 
all th- at least I know for the three that were screened at New York Film Festival were well received. I suspect that all five are really good mm-hmm. and really great, and so it's just like, well, how do you pick and choose? So let's just put it as a limited TV series and let them win Emmys. I think that's the idea. Weird. He's done such a great job with this that there's no winning in terms of uh, uh, of singling out a certain a certain movie. Uh, Mangrove is interesting because you and I, I mean, in the last few weeks, we watched The Trial of the Chicago 7, yep. which is a story about activists who uh, are involved in a protest. They get accused of starting a riot and they go on trial. Uh, Mangrove is essentially the same story. Yeah. Um, can, different... I re- can I read the two sentences yep. of what it's about? So, uh, from IMDb, Mangrove tells the true story mm-hmm. of the Mangrove Nine, who clashed with London police in 1970. The trial that followed was the first judicial acknowledgement of behavior motivated by a racial hatred within the Metropolitan Police. So, you know, obviously very different people, different location, but yeah. oddly a very similar tale of people who are wrongly put on trial for, you know, what is essentially a peaceful protest that you know, degrades into... Uh, violence because of over-aggressive police action. Um, Man, how we keep repeating this story in history. And, and so what, you know, what's fascinating about this, and obviously we've had um, unrest like this prior to 2020, and, and so, you know, the trial of Chicago 7 is made prior to those events, and, and so is this movie, but obviously we've had a, a lot more of it, a lot more front and center this year. Um, so, yeah, it's very timely in terms of kind of the story. Because this, the Chicago 7 is set in the 60s. This is set in the 70s. And, you know, it's very, you know, we're, it's, we're seeing a lot of the same things, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it works as that kind of parallel, like the trial of Chicago 7 does. Um, you know, the trial of Chicago 7 is an Aaron Sorkin thing. And it's, he's a writer first. He's only really directed two movies. Mm-hmm. And that movie kind of, it's almost the whole movie is the trial. And we kind of flash back or whatever. Mangrove is a little bit more linear. It kind of introduces us to kind of some of the characters on the ground. It really focuses on a character uh, played by, I think his name is Sean Parks. He's like the owner of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and some of these uh, Black Panther group uh, people, Tita Wright, who is in uh, Black Panther, uh, Shuri from the Marvel Black Panther movies is kind mm-hmm. of the most famous name. And But I what I liked about it is that it gives you kind of like four or five pretty key characters and in particular that the the restaurant owner is not he's not an activist he Mm -hmm. kind of gets thrust into this and he kind of makes a really um conflicted and dynamic uh center even while these other activists who are clearly you know trying to you know serve their cause right and then you know the back half of it is the trial and so uh while it's more linear i think steve mcqueen is just such a fascinating very artistic director i i mm-hmm. would i would say you didn't watch this but i i would uh say to you like when you watch the widows and you watch the scene where colin farrell gets in the car and drives and we see the we only hear the conversation the camera stays outside and you watch him go from one nice neighborhood to, into a a rough na- or a rough neighborhood to the nice neighborhood right just kind of like very uh, striking visual choices and mm-hmm. striking editing choices and without being like this is what's happening <laughs> A mangrove is very much that it's it's really well acted and it's really character focused. But I just he's always making interesting choices as a filmmaker, and I I like that. It's it's pushing it's pushing a form without changing the structure. Whereas I think, and this is not a criticism of the Chicago Seven, Aaron Sorkin pushes the structure by pushing the actual like written structure. Like mm-hmm. he'll move events. The dialogue is heavy, but I would say like the courtroom work in Mangrove is more dynamic. 
and interesting and compellingly done, maybe because it is more linear than the Chicago 7 stuff. So It's also possible that the court stories were just different. Yeah, and I, I would just say that, like, in a year where the trial of Chicago 7 is going to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscar nominations, in part because, one, it got good reviews, and two, there's a limited field, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was It's going to go for Best Picture, and here's Mangrove, a movie that I think is actually better at telling oh. a similar story. Um, it's going to be, like, part of the small acts Emmy run, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I would suspect that it's going to win many Emmys, assuming that the other ones are as good as this one. But yeah. I would approach them as individual movies is what i did um and how long was it this one was two hours some of them i think next so the one coming out this week is lover's rock and i've heard that's only about 80 minutes or less and so the the length or the length is varied mm. um this one was a two hour kind of full-on what you would expect from a movie um yeah <laughs> I, I i would i would approach them as all individual movies because they're going to be very different apparently too this is the only one that's in this particular style um weird he's making more i guess lover's rock is a little bit more abstract in terms of its storytelling so i think it's great and it's definitely worth um checking out especially you know given the world we live in it's a the parallels are there the history is you know interesting and it's just a well-made movie so and i can watch that where it's on Amazon Prime, okay. and they're going to release weekly. So cool. by the time this comes out, it'll probably be two or three out by the time I even stop talking. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> well, you were watching a show, the most popular show in the country, apparently. I didn't watch a single frame of it. Apparently, your parents... Well, my parents have both watched it, yeah. Your parents have both watched it. Your dad was asking you about it, and I was like, oh, should I watch The Queen's Gambit? Yeah. Um, And then I realized that the main actress uh, is in a movie that I loved a few years ago. Uh, Anna Taylor-Joyce from The Witch. Yeah. She's also in, like... uh, Other stuff. uh, Split, the Shyamalan and the Glass. She's an important kind of key there. So, But yeah, The Witch is kind of a breakout. And I didn't... I mean, I, I saw the trailer, and I saw... This gal with kind of like the short pixie haircut, and mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it was her. And then I might have almost, because I do like her, I almost would have like maybe watched it. But you know how I am with TV shows. I'm just like, eh. See, small acts, they're like, it, they're five movies. It's going to be eight hours, and it's five movies. I'm like, I'm all in for that. And then you tell me that Queen's Gambit is a show with eight hours. I'm just like, nah. nah I don't not. need eight. I like that it was like, it's a two-hour story, and then I'm getting a different story. Yeah. You like TV shows, though, so... I do. So, The Queen's Gambit is on Netflix. It's seven episodes long. Mm. Um, it's about um, a girl who's orphaned, again, killing the fucking parents. This is a true story, though, right? I don't know. Is it oh, a true I story? I don't I have so. no idea. <laughs> I don't think it's a true story. Okay. Um, and so, she's orphaned. She's at an orphanage, and the janitor... Uh, she gets sent to, like, clean something, and the janitor sees her, and he's playing playing chess and he invites her to play and then she learns from him and then just uh, gets obsessed with it and is a genius with it and it kind of just tells her tale of how she goes from learning in the basement with the janitor to becoming like you know u.s champion and the janitor gets jealous and then he starts to go into the championship and then they have to face each other in the final round no he (sighs) mostly gets old and she never goes back and sees him again oh okay yeah um it is very much um it's set in whatever, yeah, in the 60s. And it's a limited series, so they're not making any more yeah, of this. Yeah, seven episodes, done. Yeah. Which, which I, I like having an ending. That's good. Um, she's so great to watch. I just like watching her. She's she's definitely playing this character that's, like, um, weird. 
and she's orphaned, so she has, like, very bad social skills, but she's also being pinned as, like, the girl who's playing chess, and she's very glamorous, but I think the show does a good job of showing, like, she's not glamorous. She's kind of messy and awkward and doesn't know what she's doing, and she's very young, and but also very strong, and... It's it was entertaining. I was entertained and I finished it. So it's a phenomenon, apparently. Yeah, I. It's a lot of articles being written, and it's always like number one or two or three on their list of the most popular stuff of the week or whatever. Which they could totally lie about, I suppose. But it does seem like people yeah. are watching it. I think the writers have done a really good job of making a smart character and avoiding some common tropes with. Uh, oh, let's have some sort of, like, romantic obsession. It, pl- I mean, there is some romantic stuff in there, but, like, it plays it all very interestingly. Um, where, you know, she basically falls in love with someone who's totally unavailable to her. And then you don't see him for, like, five of the episodes. Is it the janitor? It is not the janitor. Um, what's his name from Harry Potter's in it? The uh, Dirt Dursley kid, right, who keeps popping up in things these yeah. days, including, like, uh, the old guard and the Ballad of Buster Shrugs last year or two years ago. Yeah. Yep. So that that's... It was who little... looks totally different now. It's weird. Every time he you see him, totally it's weird. He looks totally different, but he does look like the... Yeah. Yeah. It was a little distracting. Um, but no, it was good. I think it's worth watching. I like that it's seven episodes. You can just, like, get in, get out. You and everybody else have watched it. That's for sure. What I li- also like about it is it's not like, this is how you play chess. The night does, you know, it's just like it, it, when it shows the games, it doesn't just like, it, it makes it entertaining. So I'm not just like, I don't know, having to know how chess is played. I mean, even if you know how chess is played, the basics of it, you can follow some of the things, but you can just like sit back and enjoy it. The only chess watching I ever watched is, uh, yeah, um, there's an episode of the West Wing that they actually, they, it's the particular episode they did for their reunion special. They did a stage version of an episode from like season three uh where uh the president gets uh different chess sets from another country and he plays with uh rob lowe's character sam seaborn and uh toby ziegler richard schiff's character and uh they they talk about the moves a little bit but there's always, there's subtext there's a crisis going on that he's talking with sam seaborn about and this is right and then he's having a conflict with toby ziegler because toby ziegler called him out on his uh on it well you know the toby ziegler uh Jed Bartlett dynamic, of course, of the West Wing. It's just it's friction. There's friction. Yeah. So they had to work it out over some chess, but the chess itself is like, they hey make nerd. moves and I'm just hey like, nerd. Uh, hey nerd, knock it off. Richard Schiff uh, is a national treasure. He caught COVID uh, this month and I'm upset about that and I hope he's okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's Queen's Gambit. Yeah. The Queen's Gambit. Uh, what I will say is I don't think it's going to be an entry point into playing chess for anyone. Oh, okay. You're going to watch this and you're like, I'm fucking never playing that. That's way too fucking hard. These geniuses study these multiple books and memorize all these people's moves and opening moves and oh, they're also, it's confusing. I don't even like checkers. I know. You're very bad at strategy games. Checkers is no, there's no strategy in checkers. There's strategy. You <laughs> have to look ahead. You have to anticipate. You just go and you hop on, hop on, hop Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So that is what we've been watching. Yeah. Right? That's what we did. We watched some stuff. Right. So Over the Moon on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Recommend if you have little kids or older kids. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, yeah. skip it. Go get the, there's a good Criterion release of that I have. It's one of the yeah. few Criterion discs I've actually splurged on was a Rebecca Blu-ray. Watch the original. Yeah. <clears throat> Mangrove from Steve McQueen on Amazon Prime. Yep. Small Axe is what you'll find it under. Oh. Yeah. But it's, axe. the movie's called Mangrove, but it's the Small Axe Anthology. Okay. 
and then the yep. Queen's Gambit, which if you have Netflix, it will tell you to watch it. It'll it, pop it's up. It's been pushing you to watch it. For it'll a tell while. you to watch that. It'll tell you to watch Princess Switch. It'll tell you to, I don't know, not watch Dave Chappelle's Chappelle show because Dave Chappelle asked to take it off the streaming service because he's not getting paid for it. Ooh, yeah, drama. Yeah, that's also going around the Facebook. Yep. One of my friends was like, "If you like Dave Chappelle, do not watch his specials on this." What do you mean? Do not watch his show. Oh, it's also it is an odd story because um, it is a case of like no one's doing anything wrong technically. Yeah, Uh, Viacom or whatever owns Chappelle Show, and whatever contract that he signed a long time ago, he doesn't get residual rights for when they sell it. Um, I think he's making the point that maybe that's not fair, and maybe that's a real statement. And I think Netflix, because they are in contract with Dave Chappelle, he puts out their his comedy specials on Netflix, and is you know fairly popular, right? Because he's a I mean, he's a brilliant stand-up comedian, right? Um, so I think they did it out of, like, being, you know, they're, it keeps maintaining their relationship. But, I mean, technically, uh, he, I mean, it's it's a weird, it's a weird situation. It's bringing up a lot of... Did uh, Netflix take it down? They did. They tempor- yeah. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with it or if they have to renegotiate or, or what, but uh, it, it does raise the topic of, like, ownership and... I, I don't think legally he has anything to stand on, but I no. mean, he—it's—it's it's called the Spell Show. I mean, you—you uh, you can kind of understand where he's coming from, and you know, it's been sold and it streams all over the place. It's on CBS All Access, it's on Comedy Central, and it's just anyway. I—I I, I look forward to kind of watching that play out. Yeah, do you think a, people will support him and not watch it? Well, they can't watch it on Netflix because they took it off. <laughs> um. I don't know. We have the DVDs of that, so hope we got money for that years ago. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. So, Tyler, tonight we are talking about planes, trains, and automobiles. It's, uh... Oh, are you going to click on something? No. Oh, okay. Was I? Did I need to? Well, you know, it's November and we try to do, like, some kind of Thanksgiving-type movie. It's tough because there's not a lot of Thanksgiving movies that are worth talking about, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first year we did this podcast, we did the movie Beethoven, which contains a 15-second scene of Thanksgiving. Yeah, but it's on the cover. It the is on the cover. The turkey is on the cover. If you are an old millennial and you are vi- envisioning Beethoven with the big dog, you are also envisioning that giant turkey on the cover. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a, a an exercise, I think the same as when we did Ferris Bueller. It's an exercise in this podcast function, which is, <laughs> like, we, we want to talk about certain movies. Some of them seem, like, ob- too obvious, like, especially when you're doing your first year of the show or whatever, and we're not, you know, we're not as consistent as we should be. We're not cranking them out, like, two a week or whatever. Because we have very hip, busy lives. We do. And, you know, so... There's always this question of like, oh, well, do we want like episode 10 to be on like all the the movies that people always talk about, right? Or do you want to kind of talk about other things? And then B, the movies that we love or revere or grew up with, do we have anything to say about them that's relevant or interesting to 2020? And I don't know. And that's always been the the trick of this and the balance of trying to discuss these movies. I think that we – now that we've done a few John Hughes movies, it makes the conversation a little bit easier because we've – Especially this year, have noticed a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of what made a John Hughes movie a John Hughes movie and why it was successful, right? Um, so there's there's topics discussed there, but um, this is like it's also like the the only when people say like, what do you? Oh, it's a Thanksgiving movie you watch. It's Planes, Trains, and All, but there's no other option. So once you do it, it's like, well, I guess we better quit the podcast or we better quit doing Thanksgiving idea, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. 
I, don't, I know. I'm nervous to do this podcast. You what are. am I going to say? So you're nervous because this ex- – explain to the readers. Well, <laughs> shall we do what you remember? Sure. <laughs> and then we'll jump into high stats. Yeah. And then we'll talk some more about some memories and some – Yeah. And we'll go through the movie, some highlights. Yeah, and I and I do have a I I have I have a serious conversation that's that, that this movie has sparked in my mind. Okay, just today. Okay. Yeah, we can get to that. Okay, we'll pin that. Yeah, and then we'll we'll deep dive into this. I think I should read mine first because I feel like mine is not as um, specific or or connected to it. an individual so, experience. What do you remember? Is yeah. the segment where we sit down before we rewatch the old movie mm. and we write what we remember about the plot or about watching it, anything significant. Sometimes. I don't sit down. I'll stand up and do it. Sometimes I'll just say it to you and make you write it down for me. On my phone with many, many errors because of the autocorrect. <laughs> okay, so Tyler, so, yeah. what do you remember? What I wrote was uh, Steve Martin is annoyed by John Candy. And we're all a little annoyed too. But it's funny, right? Honestly, it's been a while. As our family didn't really have traditional Thanksgiving movies. Just booze. Another John Hughes joint, but this time with Steve Martin dropping F-bombs at the airport. That's what I wrote. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote mm-hmm. a classic in my family. Yeah. Um, I was shocked to learn that this movie is rated R. <laughs> How do you have a memory of the one scene and not think it's rated R? I don't know. Yeah. I had this movie memorized by the time I was 14. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you about my parents? That they're awesome. They have a good sense of humor and they don't give a fuck because they liked it. So we watched it and we watched it. All the time. Not just at Thanksgiving? No, it was just like, if there was nothing on TV, someone could just pop in, planes, trains, and, auto- and automobiles, and or Uncle Buck, and we'd fucking watch that. This speaks to the thing I, I pinned for later, I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the quotes are built into my family culture. Okay. Yeah. You know, so if you're sitting around having family dinner with us, if you haven't seen some of these movies, you're not going to follow exactly sometimes because we'll just use the shortened version as a reference to make fun of someone or something like that. And this is a, that, that was always a, a weird thing for me when I, be, you know, started being a part of this part of your family, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, as someone who, uh, is a movie person who's a film critic and, has done this for a long time. <laughs> I do not have a family that uh, uh, quotes, movies. quotes movies, talks about movies like that, has like a group of favorite movies. We've, with the exception of my dad really liking A Christmas Story, we would mm-hmm. watch. I mean, that was, I mean, other than that, there really wasn't like this conversation about like anything. Like, not like that. We, even though we would go to the movies all the time. Yeah. You saw 10,000 movies. I saw 10. The yeah. same 10. Yeah. 100,000 times. You guys times. just watched the same 10 movies and we, <laughs> I don't know. We yeah. I, well, yeah. we didn't have cable growing up, mm-hmm. and we didn't go to the movie theater a lot growing up. Yeah, and it's not because we were poor. I think it was because my parents were paying for us to be in fucking music lessons and sports well, and shit like that. I'll tell you what: uh, being a parent and also a pandemic will teach you about that. Yeah, is that you don't. It, it's it, it's it's fun. I would. I mean, before all this, we would go to the movies all the time, and I would go even without you all the time uh, to lots of things. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's on it's oddly something i don't miss (laughs) this year yeah oddly i'm fine watching it at home i'm fine waiting it helps that they've been giving us some a few things here and there which is new it's it's odd and i i I, that is surprising that it that i've learned that about myself and i i worry that a lot of theater owners are freaking out because other people are being like oh my god yeah we don't need this (laughs) who's gone to the movie theater hundreds of times in over years that 
is in that state. I mean, I'm cr- I'm cr- I'm, a, I'm a germaphobe, so I yeah. mean that does yeah. factor in. So <laughs> I'm sure you know I grew up in a family with three kids. I'm sure just taking us to the movies is fucking expensive well, and a pain in the ass. And that's the other thing I was going to say is that uh, when I would go with my parents, my brother was already he was much older than me, and he was out or he had left you know he grew up left the house so it was just me and my parents um versus you and i we have four children you know we you know last year we took them to toy story 4 and frozen 2 and we're like Mm -hmm. well guys we'll watch everything else at home Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we didn't we didn't take them to the movies very much because it was like jesus there's so many of you yeah my memories of going to the movies with my mom is like three I don't think, yeah. and after after those three, I don't think she went to the movie. Th- I don't think she's been to the movie theater maybe once in the last twenty years. Oh wow, she just doesn't like to go. But we would always um, pop popcorn at home. Yeah, put them in little Ziploc baggies. Nice. Put in a couple little snacks, and then one of the parents. I feel like we'd go with another family friend and their couple kids. So it'd be like two moms and fucking five or seven kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know we get our seats and they just pass down the baggies of yeah. treats. You guys even had like drive-ins near your house. Okay, so you know which we, I never got to do. We, we didn't have go, that. Yeah, we did go to drive-in movies. Yeah, okay, that was a thing. That seems fun to me. Because I've never really had that experience, really. So yeah, we did that a few wasn't times. Wasn't anywhere near one. That's how I first time or second time saw Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, that's the way to see. It. So scary. One of the ways to see it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. always great to watch. So scary. Anyway, um, so yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. So this is why you're nervous because John this is Candy, a movie that yeah. you're okay. You know. Your your parents, they don't maybe listen to every episode. My parents don't listen to any of these podcasts. But your parents occasionally will listen, or at least your mom. I don't know. She said that recently. Yeah. Actually, like, every time I talk to her now, she's like, well, every time I turn on a podcast, because she turns it on when she's laying in bed at night, I fall asleep. Well, We mom, have that effect. Maybe, maybe don't listen to it right before bed. Maybe we're not very interesting. <laughs> No, she's just listening. If she's not listening, then our listenership is down to two. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Do listeners. Um, no, but I think you're nervous because you feel like this is one that, uh, you know, you, your family it's likes. It's a sacred territory. Yeah, and and you're worried because I don't have a secret uh, feeling about it. Okay, yeah, because it's, well, you know, it's interesting because there's another reason I've been hesitant to record this for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that is that when I think about the movie, mm-hmm. like like I was thinking about it yesterday when we watched it. Yeah. Yesterday. Quote, unquote. Um, I was like, Ugh, I kind of don't want to watch it because the movie's annoying and the character's annoying and Steve Martin's exasperated the whole time. And that is stressful to me and kind of irritating. And so mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, ah, I mean, like, I know it's funny, but like, it's kind of fucking annoying, too. Yeah. But now that I've recently watched it, I'm like, no, that movie's Oh, funny. it started and you were on board right yeah. away. You but were like, was like, it's on funny. bored because of years of nostalgic enjoyment. Of watching other people enjoy it? Possibly. This is not a movie that I saw, particularly at a young age. I feel like I saw it maybe around 12. What? Something like that. I feel like I'd seen it Well, about- it's rated... First of all, it's rated R, Angela. <laughs> I feel like I saw and it like And you probably grade. shouldn't have seen it. Although, I think we need to point out that... Uh, the movie is, other than the one scene, is not even remotely near being an R-rated movie. Everything there's there's hardly any other swearing or anything that's really terribly there's inappropriate. No sexual no. scenes. There's no violence. Yeah. So other than that one scene, you took it out. It's not an R-rated movie. I mean, really, it would be a yeah. PG or it's true. Yeah, minus, very least PG thirteen. Minus that that fuck scene. Yeah. Which is um, 
you know, another we haven't done this movie. Maybe we will this year. Maybe not. Uh, Christmas Vacation has a very similar like favorite scene of like Chevy Chase rant going on a rant at the mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, and he drops an f bomb, but it's only one f bomb, and then all the other words that he uses are funny because some of them are kind of unique. Um, yes, yeah. But, true. I mean, that's a memorable scene, but it has the one, and that movie manages to be, like, you know, PG-13, whereas Transatlantic, there's no way you can, I mean, it's more than one, it's more than one fuck. It's uh, several fucks. And, I mean, it's, listen, it's a classic scene. It's funny. But, you know, <laughs> that's why it's R. Other than that scene, it's not an R-rated movie. Well, in case you haven't seen that scene for a while, I think well, we should yes. not play it. No, we, we can, but... We haven't done high stats. Okay, let's do we some need high to do, stats. We need to do some of the things that we're supposed to do. So high stats is yes. where we talk about the facts and figures of the movie. Yes. All right. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles came out November 25th. Which is that today? The day we're recording? Oh, I, uh, at midnight it will be. Oh. Ooh. We should post it tomorrow. We should. <laughs> um, 1987. Mm-hmm. I was rocking four years old. And that's when you first saw it because your parents were <laughs> okay. inappropriate. Probably. It's like, we'll go to the movie. <laughs> Probably. It was written and directed by John Hughes. Yep. It stars Steve Martin and John Candy primarily. Yeah, there's... there's The, the fourth build person in the movie is Michael McKean, who's in... Uh, two minute scene. Yeah, who plays so, a state trooper for one go. scene? Yep. Yeah, hey, the wife. The wife is third build. Yeah. third build. I mean, Kevin Bacon, his cameo oh, in the yeah, beginning of the movie build. is arguably, I would say he's probably third build, really, because he is in like a scene that lasts three minutes. And yeah. so it's like, well, he was in more of the movie than everybody else other than Candy and Martin. And just a reminder for those of you who like to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, I he's always, in this movie. I always forget that. He's connected to John Candy and Steve. Martin. I'm always a little bit surprised, even though I've seen this movie several times. It's like, oh, look that it's kevin bacon that's kevin bacon yep uh let's see what else do you want to know it's rated r uh-huh. it clocks in at a beautiful hour and 33 minutes despite there apparently being a uh when john hughes cut this thing it was like so he it was he shot a ton of footage i don't it never i don't think it ever like got released there's some deleted scenes on the dvds but not not to the extent i mean there was like a three hour cut of this somewhere that's in a vault somewhere yeah. which is odd the curious side of me wants to see that special feature that like that where they talk about like oh yeah the editor chopped out two hours of it or i helped chop out two hours of it because i do wonder where the line is of what the story that the director's filming and if, yeah. the story that the editor cuts if this movie is even 10 minutes longer, it is not a classic. I'm just saying that right now. The fact that it is 90 minutes is one of its sole... It's true. Because there's characters who are obnoxious, and there's a character who is constantly annoyed, and you can't do that for more than 90 minutes. You just can't. Otherwise, you you lose it. You lose where you're going. Yeah. It's why, like, The Office and Steve Carell, a brilliant performance over years and years and years, and even if you put in deleted scenes... You can watch in its own little corner on the DVD. It matters that those episodes are 21 minutes long. That's true. And there's other characters to kind of balance out that. And because it's a very funny, very brilliant performance. But when you have too much of this kind of like obnoxiousness, you have a problem. What were we watching recently that they added minutes to the streaming of it? What was that? And you were like, it's not as tight. Well, it is. It's the it's the Netflix episodes of Arrested Development, the later yes, seasons. That's it. Arrested Development it's works one. as twenty two minutes. It. I mean, you watch those new episodes, even the ones after. I know that the, the fourth season they did, the cast wasn't together and they weren't available, so they had a very unique situation, right? And I appreciate some of those episodes. That next season, 
the number one problem with it is that every episode is 12 minutes too long and it's flabby. It's just flabby. There's something about... You got to edit. You got to cut down because it yep. makes your jokes have to punch harder and faster. The and reason tighter. Arrested Development worked was part of it was its brevity, and I think the planes, trains, and yeah. automobiles works in part because of its brevity. I would agree with so that. So whoever, if it was John Hughes that decided like, ah, none of this stuff works, cut it out. Great. I think it takes a really talented and humble filmmaker to do that. Yeah, and I think that you know, comedy movies are a little bit different in that. Okay, you got John Candy, you got Steve Martin. Uh, John Hughes is someone who writes scripts very quickly and kind of like allows for certain things to kind of be spontaneous, mm-hmm. right? You're doing a road movie, very easy to shoot extra footage. Uh, you know, it, it lends itself to having a lot of footage. And eventually you just got to decide like what works and what doesn't. And that's where you land. And I think yeah. that, that that's yeah. probably true of a lot of comedy movies. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, the estimated budget was $30 million, mm-hmm. and it grossed uh, $50 million. Yeah, it was hit and uh, went on to be revered. Well, sure, certainly did in my household. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you want to do here? Because I'm going to play the the scene. Yeah. Okay. Just because we were talking about Steve it. Martin gets uh, left in a parking lot to pick up a car. The car is not there. He has to walk back. He's pissed off. Yeah. I'll just uh, play the part where he loses his mind. Yeah. Oh, uh, swear words coming. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you're used to that. Mm -hmm. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right Fucking now. So yeah, a lot of a lot of efforts. Oh my god, it's so <laughs> funny. Though. It's very funny, and it's it's one of Steve Martin's uh, finest hours, obviously. And only because if you've ever been at a busy airport, I was going to tell you this when we were watching this again. I flashed back to when we were in the Minneapolis airport one time mm-hmm. with a fucking one-year-old baby in a car seat, and it oh, was my god. it was. Holiday time or something. I don't know. No, it was the there. summer. <laughs> and the, the car rental line was 50 people long and they had took one an hour or half. two. It took so goddamn long. And then, all of them too. It wasn't just our company. It was just like, it, oh, it was oh, it was so horrible to the yeah. point where you get there and you're, you are to that point. You are, you're just fucking done. And so I feel like it's a really relatable scene. Well, and there's a great, uh, Seinfeld episode bit where he, um, you know, it's, you know, it's like, he, it's one thing to keep the reservation. You have to hold the reservation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Similar. I always remember that when I think of this movie because it's a very similar kind of scene. Only without the F-bombs. Without the F-bombs. And in this one, she asked him if he has his rental agreement. Oh, what a, like, old millennial thing. Remember when you actually had to, like, keep paper copies of things? Yeah, not just on your smartphone, is it? Yeah, so we're so lucky now. It's tough. And that, uh, the attendant is uh, Mooney's uh, secretary from Ferris Bueller. Uh, also of John Hughes. There, there's a lot of um, one thing I'll. Well, this is just kind of a fun thing about the movie is that um, it, it, it's stacked with these people you know, just in random scenes. Michael McKean as a state trooper for a minute, 
uh, Dylan Baker, who's a great character actor, he's playing a hick in a scene for like a minute, right? A hick who's gives him a ride in the back of his truck. Um, the Kevin Bacon, obviously, um, the guy who drives that goofy taxi is a, a pretty well known actor. His name is, uh, not a well known actor, but like a good character actor. Uh, uh, Larry Hankin, the guy that, if you're a John Hughes fan, the old man who's sleeping on, uh, his shoulder on the airplane is the old man, uh, who's part of the old couple that, uh, Catherine O'Hara is negotiating with to get on a flight from Paris back to home and home alone, where he goes, uh, um, oh, she's, I always say this, I know home alone so well, it's just like, because he tries to offer her earrings. like, oh, she's got a lot of earrings, the little dangly ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he goes, oh, all right. And they're just also like in Dennis the they're Menace. They're in Dennis the Menace. Yeah. Uh, for uh, Just they're part of the Garden Club, which was also written by John Hughes. Home Alone is written by John Hughes, not directed. Same with Dennis. I think that, 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 I can't remember. Did he direct it or just write that? I don't. can't remember now. Uh, it was later in the 90s. I assume he didn't direct it because he kind of stopped directing. Um, but yeah, uh, Martin uh, Ferrero who is a hotel uh, a hotel clerk at the second hotel. He's the lawyer Gennaro in Jurassic Park that gets eaten off the toilet. I mean, <laughs> you got all these people. <laughs> it's the stars it's of the, the stars 80s. stars of the 80s. It's the stars of the 80s. Um, Matthew Lawrence is one of his kids. He's a little baby. Not yeah. Joey Woe Lawrence, but Matthew Lawrence. Yeah. Like Boy Meets World. It's and, his, it's his what son. was Matthew Lawrence's other? Not before he went on Boy Meets World, the latter part of no one, the seasons no one likes about Boy Meets World. I didn't mind those seasons. Um, <laughs> they were better before. Well, Matthew Lawrence is kind of cute, so. Okay, but what was he, but what was he before that? Wasn't he on some show? No. No? It wasn't like Party <laughs> of Five? Because <laughs> no. Joey was on like Blossom. Blossom. But Matthew Lawrence was on, well he was in like Mrs. Doubtfire or something, right? Matthew Lawrence? Uh, you're really putting me on the spot here. No, that doesn't work okay, out timeline. Okay, start, his first movie was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He just doesn't have any, he's just a little kid, right? Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, okay, he's in Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, The Hot Chick. Okay, no. Is that the, the Rob Sorry, Schneider film? Sorry, yeah, he's got nothing going on. <laughs> okay. Television, oh, let me look at his television list. No, he's got nothing going Dynamic on. Dynamic. He was discussion. on Blossom as young Joey. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so he did something there. Um, yeah, so, you know, this is this is a travelogue. It's it's John Candy and Steve Martin uh, just running up against each other uh, in various travel situations, right? And they're trying to get home for Thanksgiving. Um, listen, John Candy was revered in our house because we liked The Great Outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, also a classic in our and house. And you liked... Well, your whole family was all, all John Candy all the time because you... Really like Uncle Buck. Oh yeah. Um, you which could totally be like a Thanksgiving-y type movie for next year, by the way. Totally. Uh, if we keep doing this podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, great, great outdoors. <laughs> we <laughs> to a lesser extent, cool runnings. Um, you know, I don't know. Whatever for whatever reason, this was not one that that I saw a lot of, and for when I watch it. I struggle a little bit because here's two really great comic actors in roles where, you know, one is annoyed and he's kind of a prick, which is fine. I think Steve Martin is great at playing that. And then John Candy's playing a part that is not a real person. And that's where I struggle a little bit. It's just a little bit too much. (laughs) The number of things that this man does. uh, I'm surprised that Steve Martin doesn't cut his head off at the halfway point of this movie. Because it's not a real, 
uh, person, a person that behaves in in the real world. I don't think. I think maybe you don't know enough people. <laughs> maybe. No, I mean, every he, individual like, thing is something that people do. It's yeah. just the fact that he does all of it. But he's not that bad. He's also a very empathetic... Is he? Is he? That's the question is I have. Is he not that bad? Is he empathetic? Well, I'm just going to uh, play a little game of what would Roger say? Okay. So this is a section where the segment where we talk about Roger Ebert. Tyler's favorite movie critic, and what he said. So how many stars do you think Ebert gave it? Three. Four. Wow. And I will tell you, it's I, I'm having trouble picking out what to say because it is a long review because oh. he freaking loved it. But what I spotted as I was scanning it is that, uh, one, he loved it. Mm-hmm. And then he says this. Dell, we feel, so Dell is John Candy character, we right. feel, was born with empathy. He instinctively identifies with Neil's problems. He's genuinely sorry to learn he stole his cab. He's quick to offer help when their flight is diverted to Wichita, Kansas, and there are no hotel rooms available. Neil, on the other hand, depends on his credit cards and self-reliance. So, he talks more about that, but... That's true. He's empathetic. That... He spends the movie trying to peel off from Dale and failing. Dale spends the movie having his feelings hurt and then coming through for Neil anyway. That's true. He is, quote-unquote, a nice guy. That is a cartoon character who would be completely insufferable to know in real life. Uh, See, are you just (laughs) seeing him only through Steve Martin's initial experience? No, I just, I find, like... It is it is can be pinned down to uh, what is admittedly a good punchline, which is them in the car where he ends up driving the wrong direction on the highway, and they go, "You're going the wrong way." How do they know which way we're going? That's funny, right? It's funny. I even like the cartoonishness of when they go between the semi trucks. <laughs> And the, their faces briefly turn into skeletons. Yes. Which is a, which he will then is, gets written into, by the way, a John Hughesism that gets sent back into Home Alone 2 Lost in New York when Daniel Stern gets electrocuted in yes. the New York apartment. So connections. It's great. Connections. Um, there's a brief shot where, you know, Steve Martin looks over and John Candy is a devil. The devil. Mm-hmm. I find that all to be very funny, right? It is just the setup to this joke is, not a not a thing that I just it drives me nuts. Like the okay, the, the mere here's what I'll tell you. The mere you negligence. Don't, you don't drive enough. <laughs> I drive plenty to no. know this is okay. not okay. Here's the thing: you don't drive when we go on family trips, right? I drive. Like you won't 90. let me. Yeah, I won't let you. So <laughs> if if you haven't seen this scene in a while, it's where he's they're driving in the rental car. He's got his big blue puffy coat on, oh, and he's it. he's accidentally flicked a cigarette into the back. So it's it's. It's literally heating up the car, plus the heat's on. Something that would... Okay, fine. <laughs> Something that has... I mean, we've driven by RVs that are on fire, so shit happens when people are on the road. Okay. <laughs> Remember that time on that road trip? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, that was a long delay. Yeah. Um. So, you know, when you're driving and you got a jacket or a sweater on and you want to take it off, there have been many a time where I've said, Tyler, fucking help me pull my sleeve off. To help me take my jacket off. Correct. That would but be if, at least one step above what this man does. But if your partner's sleeping, which if you're following the rules of my mother, yeah, it should never fucking happen because your job as the passenger is to keep the driver awake. Correct. So, again, this is on Steve Martin. The mere fact that he Steve Martin stays asleep during this whole thing is frustrating to me, too. I know. Is he, like, on Valium? <laughs> like, what's happening? He's dead. He's, he's dead. <laughs> but, like, to try to get your coat off while you're driving is hard. 
Yes. So it snags on one side. That's that's You know what you could do? Pull over. I agree, but it's like nighttime. You don't want to pull over. You just try to get your coat off while you're driving. Okay, yes, that's... That is one component of this horrible, horrible setup in which he gets trapped. They starts a fire. He goes off the fucking <laughs> road the wrong way. Does a thousand spins in which Steve Martin does not wake up. Ends up going the wrong direction. It is just, it, it is. It's a cartoon I'm- character, and that is one example of like the same when they sit in the hotel room and he, you know, it's it's not that it's not just that he snores. It's 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 not just that he hacks his throat. It's it's that he does all of those things plus takes all the towels and plus. It annoys them with all these this, these conversations. I just, to me, take away who they are as actors. Yeah, like there's no way that these two people, and I don't I don't necessarily empathize with Steve Martin at all. I think he's kind of he he's a prick, and you're supposed to think he's a prick, right? And it's mm-hmm. funny sometimes when he loses his mind, right? Because mm-hmm. it's funny because we all feel that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that there's any situation where these two people. Uh, bond even remotely <laughs> or that there's an ending in which uh there's some kind of empathy here i'm sorry i just i don't buy it well you have a lot of coldness in your heart i don't buy i don't i don't buy this like he's being quiet about his wife being dead for eight years and just kind of the movie tiptoeing around it and being like it's some kind of secret that he won't say he won't speak audibly and in like steve martin is able to somehow figure this out uh at the end Based off of, they show us the clips. Uh, <laughs> their clips are not telling, they're not indicative of him, of the wife being dead. Maybe divorce, but not dead. And it's just odd. But that's me ranting about, like, these are nitpicks. I I acknowledge it's funny. I acknowledge. Yeah. Well, it's funny because as you're saying that, I was trying to think, so my dad really, really, really fucking hates the movie What About Bob? Which is a movie I love. And that, and... Fun, funnily enough, a movie that I saw at a young age and watched a lot, which is one of the things I want. This is this is why I want to lead this conversation. Okay, but go ahead. Well, one of the reasons he yeah. obviously doesn't like What About Bob is Bob's fucking annoying, and what's his name? Paul. It's Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus is yeah. exasperated the whole time, and he, which is yeah. at a very high level, the same exact dichotomy that's happening in this movie. For Annoying sure. character, exasperated character. Absolutely. So, Same movie, essentially. So where does my dad love one and hate the other? I think it's this. There, it I don't the know. Actors? Maybe. Is it... Because I, because I revere the, the Bill, Ner- the Bill, the, the Dow of Bill Murray. Yeah. I can get on board and being like, I love Bill Murray. He's not annoying. He's hilarious, yeah. right? But that's weird because I also feel that way about John Candy and a lot of things. I find him to be hilarious and lovable. I, I don't in this movie. I don't find him. Yes, he's empathetic and kind. He's also just obnoxious. <laughs> okay, but other than the sleeping scene and the coat scene, what does he do that's terrible? No, a lot of it's fine. A lot of it, he's he's totally like, I just don't think that he's, other than him being kind to Steve Martin, despite him being cruel to him, I don't feel like there's anything there that like lets me... See, I disagree because I don't think he has an interior like life. I, I where, guess I feel like where um, the the tightness and shortness of the movie does it an injustice mm-hmm. is that one thing it shows is that John Candy makes friends wherever he goes because everywhere he goes, he kind of knows somebody who That's can true. help him out. Or well, he's a salesperson. Yeah, and to be a salesperson, he sells curtain. Uh, you have rings. to connect to people, mm-hmm. and I think that by showing that everywhere he goes. 
he can connect to people and that he can easily sell people on things shows that he's a very likable guy. He sells the curtain rings as uh, earrings yeah. at uh, one stop. Yeah. yeah. And he people like him and, and he can he- get people to help him everywhere he goes. And I think that's the movie's way of saying, okay, we're showing you Steve Martin's experience through his lens. But the the rest of the world... I think that's part of the problem. I yeah. feel like I if, if the movie was through the lens of John Candy and we weren't playing this game of like hiding his true story... I would be more willing or more able to kind of see through the things that are like the comedy bits where he's obnoxious. I just find I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. I just find like the dichotomy between him being like a nice guy that everybody likes and being the most fucking annoying person who made this who's the worst driver who should never have a fucking license ever and the most unrealistic thing that would ever happen. Uh, but then I say this and it still leads to a pretty funny punchline. So And also <laughs> People get in dumb fucking car accidents all the fucking time. I know, time. and I and listen, I I listen. These people, I hear what I'm saying, exist. and I I know how the last month, especially in the last year, especially has been going on in this country, and I fucking know that this country's full of fucking dumbasses yeah. and just yeah. the dumbest people on the planet, and I know this. But I don't know if I necessarily want to watch them in a comedy movie. <laughs> okay, well, what did you like about? What were some of your your likable scenes with John Candy? I don't I don't have any. I feel like the other ones just overrun that stuff. I can't. Uh, that's that's where I struggle. I I think he's uh, uh, that that's the other odd thing. I don't find him to be um, a vessel for comedy in the movie because the scenes that are supposedly funny are him being obnoxious. Whereas the Steve Martin character, he is exasperated and grumpy but he gets like a couple of great scenes of yeah. comic like he even breaking gets to, out. like punch john candy right in the fucking nose boom yeah his rant at the hotel room when which i f- was surprised i forgot had happened so early where he just goes off on him so early in the movie oh yeah that feels like it's about 10 15 minutes in. well yeah i mean it isn't long they're not with it's each other for very long together they're only like you know they've been on the plane together and then they end up stuck in a hotel room together so they've interacted but yeah, not. so they have the airport the airplane then they're in the hotel but they haven't been on train yet they haven't been on on the yeah. on the road together but this part of his rant though has made it into the family lexicon oh has it yes and i'm gonna play a clip so they're in the hotel room. He's trying to fall. They're asleep. sharing a room. Yes, they're uh, they, sharing one bed. bed. There's some gay panic later. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> John Candy's been hacking and breathing and just pissing Steve Martin off because he's trying to fall asleep. Right here we go. I, I I could tolerate any any insurance seminar for days. I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They say, "How can you stand it?" And I'd say, "Cause I've been with Del Griffith." I can take anything. You know what that'd say? That'd say, I know what you mean. The shower curtain ring guy. Whoa. It's, it's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. I expect you to have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. Except I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back. You would. Ah, 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 ah. And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. It's like it's, a Chatty Cathy doll. Ah, 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 ah. My dad does that a lot. Oh, my dad does that one all the time. And it's funny. Again, I don't know if that's like a realistic uh, 
thing that's going to happen when you spend half a day with someone and you unload this like comedy routine essentially that's really mm-hmm. really really aggressive very aggressive very however, like over the th- it's something that you say in your brain like days later when you start ruminating about someone who annoyed you however it's not going to happen in the moment i don't know though i feel like when you get to a certain age i think i would have thought that 10 years ago but i think okay. as you get older you start tolerating other people's shit a little bit less and you also fear um confronting people a little bit less case in point i was just working on in this middle of a training with a stranger from a different company and she was being a total bitch to me and i totally okay it was totally (laughs) totally pulled a steve martin on her only i didn't swear at her listen that was a virtual (laughs) meeting it was i i would say that's a little bit different because you have no consequences (laughs) there are no consequences true but i had only known this woman for 20 minutes and i and i was like listen you you are being completely rude to me, and this is not okay. And well, that's not the same as what Steve Martin's doing. I don't know, though. I feel like as you get older, you're just like, "Fuck your bullshit, person." Maybe I don't think that's a good idea in a country <laughs> full of guns. That that I, I think you should maybe pull back on that that feeling. Maybe try to be a little bit more polite. That would be my recommendation for your health. But it is probably you know important to be polite. Um, but I could see if someone cracking in the middle of the night after a long day. This is a, a good opportunity because what I – listen, I don't have anything against this movie. I'm nitpicking about the way it produces comedy. I think that there's many parts of it that are funny. That um, part was funny that we just listened to. Absolutely. Um, but here's here's what – and you brought this up perfectly when you said that your dad does – just can't stand what about Bob movie that I yes. really like. Yeah. Although I have not seen in years. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll do an episode soon. Um, it's a summer movie. It is. <laughs> yeah. He goes sailing. Yeah. Um, this is what I want to talk about because this is this is what it is, and this goes to the whole idea of this podcast. This is like thematic territory yeah. here. This is the me. When you, I'm curious about certain movies, especially movies like this that are revered because they were watched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched, and there is a community aspect of your family seeing it and quoting it and loving it. And, and liking it for all of that it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of another example of this with your your dad in particular is that he loves Ace Ventura 2 when nature calls and knows several <laughs> things. I mean, a movie that, look, I think is, if I remember correctly, is funny, but is not like, not considered, it's not going to be on the AFI list of like a hundred years, a hundred laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And this is, so that's interesting. And then, Contrast with someone like me, with this movie in particular, did not see it a bunch of times over and over again. Mm -hmm. Saw it at age 12 or whatever, seen it a couple times, not nearly as much as you or your family. Mm -hmm. Compare that to, say, what about Bob movie that I watch quite a bit. And we've talked about this on other episodes about the nostalgia and how that colors our opinion of it and how it's proven to be very difficult for us to explore that. I mean, just watching you... When I, like, say I don't like some aspect of Planes, Trades, and Automobile, you're just like, whoa, no. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and, and, but, and it's not, and, but here's the thing, it's not irrational, because what you did is end up citing very reasonable, good argument about, like, why I'm wrong, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you've seen it, you have your evidence, you have your ammo, so to speak, right? <laughs> got my file folder. You've got your file folder full of your, you know, Lincoln Douglas uh, topics, and you're able to to pull it out. I'm just like, all right, yeah, I can't remember. You're like, well, what parts don't you like? What parts do you like, John Kane? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie more than like 90 times, apparently. Um, but that's but that's what we do with movies that we love. 
this is my question. I feel like I don't know if this movie and movies like this are going to endure past us. Our generation. Yeah. And this is what I mean. I, I don't know. And I think it's because of the availability of everything now and the abundance of everything right now. Our kids, we can show them movies that we grew up on, and we have some of the animated movies that we like. Disney Plus is great for this, right? These are the, these are the things, right? There's less interest from them to rewatch and rewatch and rewatch these things. It's a little bit different with Christmas stuff because you're festive, right? Mm-hmm. But even that, I mean, they give us. It's not just Hallmark anymore giving us 20 movies a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Netflix this year, in a pandemic year, has somehow managed to make like 15 Christmas movies. Yeah. All these other places. I mean, I know a lot of it was done last year or whatever, but I have a feeling that they will find a way to mask everybody up and put shields on and make sure we have more next year too. Probably. Right? Because that's just what it is. It's the abundance aspect. We have so much that I don't know if you, I just, I, things are going to endure. Our kids, our daughter, Saw Moana in the theater, and that's her movie, right? Mm-hmm. She loves it. Our other daughter saw Frozen, and that's her movie, right? But those are her movies. You show her something, unless she's able to latch onto it. I just think it's going to happen less and less. And so movies like this are going to be the ones that kind of fade away because some of the comedy fades away. Um, I think animation is a little bit easier because there are no people, the kids know what animation looks like versus like. Oh, they don't have any idea who Steve Martin is. They have no connection to Steve Martin or yeah. John Candy, whereas we did because we saw a succession of movies from them, yeah. right? And so then I wonder what will endure because some things will, but I don't know if it's going to happen from people growing up and watching and rewatching and rewatching the things. Like we're not going to be able to. I, I just think about Planes, Trains, and Automobile and how your parents essentially pass that classicness to you. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that imprinted it as a classic. Right? right? My dad imprinted A Christmas Story as a classic because he grew up in a household that was like not a little bit later, like maybe the 50s, right? Instead of the what, 30s or 40s when that set. And a lot of it made sense to him and it was relatable to his life. And he then passed that experience to me. And so we've shown our kids A Christmas Story and they're just like, whatever. Even no matter – no I mean, they're still relatively young, yeah. but – it's harder, right? We sh- we took them to E.T., and I feel like maybe because they saw it in the big screen, they will have that experience, right? That maybe they'll hold on to that later in life. I don't know. And so I wonder what kind of movies endure and what movies don't. And I think it's just going to be less. I feel like there's going to be – this generation is going to have less consensus things. And Oh, for sure. One of the reasons is, is like for sure. even the most popular things, Marvel movies, right? It's not one Marvel movie. There's yeah. 22 of them. Like, how can you even keep track? Which you might have which? a favorite, but no one else has a favorite, right? Everybody likes... They, this person likes Black Panther. This person likes Spider-Man. This person likes Iron Man. It's all over the place, right? We all kind of like the experience. And Hollywood has gone away from... You know, I don't think anybody is in the industry thinking they want to make a bad movie. But I think, like, making a good movie kind of used to be, like, the number one goal. Mm-hmm. And then number two is, like, if we make a good movie... It will make money. Now it's like, let's make a movie that will make money. And if it's good, all the better. Right. It's number two. And I feel like we're losing some of this stuff. There's not going to be a planes, trains, and automobiles of another generation. It might just be... I was thinking about this when I watched this. I have a greater appreciation for Tommy Boy from 1995. It's essentially the same movie as planes, trains, and automobiles. 
I mean, yeah. really. I mean, there's so many of these, right? And it's and it's yeah. because I mean, same thing. Chris Farley, nice guy, but like does cartoonish things that annoys the fuck out of David Spade. Yep. I watched Chris Farley and David Spade on SNL. I had a better connection to them. Therefore, that movie is funnier to me as endures as something that I can always rewatch. Yes. And so I feel like our kids are going to, not only that, they'll get their own version of Tommy Boyer playing Strange Novel. Lord knows they tried to make it with Due Date with Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey Jr. and no one seemed to give a shit. Uh, it made money, but you know what I mean? There's Forget just so it. many of these that there's, and everybody's splintered. Nobody watches everything in the same place. Mm-hmm. So one family's favorite over here is not going to be, I mean, everybody knows that playing Strange Automobiles is a comedy classic. But like, but the in, movies that our kids like, yeah. no, no, these kids even heard of that. In stuff. twenty years, when uh, our kids are hanging out as adults, they're not going to have the common language no. of common the top thirty movies that they've all definitely seen. There are going to be a few. There's going to be, you know, I think cinephiles and people who will grow up loving movies and li- liking the 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 precision and quality of filmmaking will still propel classics. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like something like E.T., I feel like, is a classic. It's not only like a movie that was important to a generation, it's just really good, and it's still really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it's like structurally sound, right? You know, and Spielberg has a few of those. It's odd that we've done this episode podcast without doing, what, what one Steven Spielberg movie? <laughs> Which is weird, because, I mean, this yeah. is someone who essentially defined our childhood, right? And maybe it's because I feel like the ones we would talk about are kind of just considered to be like, they're not just like your child, not your childhood movie. They're, they're just well made and they're, yeah. they're going to be classics regardless of whether you and I loved it growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I guess my question is going back to this movie is like, is planes, trains, and automobiles a movie that endures past this generation? Well, I mean, I guess my answer would mm-hmm. be a, another question. Yeah. Are there any movies that our parents watched when they were 10, 12, 15 that endured to now? I we would have to ask them, I suppose. I feel like it's different because they don't have they I mean, their generation didn't have home video. They true. couldn't have the VHS. They didn't have color TV. They're so old. Well, but it's I mean, they would they could they could maybe go to the movie this movies to see if yeah. they could see it on television when it aired, but I mean, the home video market kind of exploded when we were kids, like VHS and then, you know, as we got older, DVDs and stuff like that, that was like the thing. And then now it's become, everything is just a click away. You don't have to wait. You don't, I mean, nothing is, <laughs> I mean, even new, real, especially in COVID, the movies that do go to theaters, because there's so few theaters open, they go ahead and put those movies out with the exception of Tenant two weeks later. Like the window for theatrical release right now, I mean, it, it will go back, right? Presumably. Yeah. But I mean, there's none of this, there's no waiting anymore. No. Um, so no, I mean, our kids aren't going to carry the torch of planes, trains, and automobiles. Unless because, we show it a bunch. Because I'm not going to watch it every month or you've every seen third it. month or every year because I've seen it enough and I, I'm, you know. Well I'm, that, okay. And that speaks to, I, this is a thing that goes back to our relationship too <laughs> and our growth as, um, a couple that watches movies together. Yeah. Because I feel like as a, some, I mean, 
we just I watched a lot of movies over and over again when I was you younger. You did, yeah. Right? And I was that kind of person. Whereas I would say you were never that type of viewer. You no. would rather watch something different. And I think that's because I'm a product of my family watching the same 10 movies. <laughs> Too many. Over and over where I'm just seeking that novelty. Right. I want that novelty experience. But now, <laughs> what's odd, and I think it is solely the the progress of the industry is that I am not that way anymore. I can't rewatch things over and over again. There are, I mean, some of the things that I love, I don't need to rewatch over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like, I know every frame of Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. so I don't necessarily need to watch it. You turn it on, I'll watch that whole thing. But, <laughs> and I can, I'll say the dialogue all the way through. Home Alone, same kind of deal. <laughs> but, you know, there's not a lot of those, and I would almost rather watch something and it's because we have so many options. I always feel obligated as someone who writes about movies to, rather than rewatch something, unless you didn't see it or I really want to rewatch it, to just watch something else or something new. So we are already, because of how things are available now, someone who, like me, who used to rewatch things mm-hmm. to enjoy them and to get a deeper appreciation for them and appreciate the actual structure of it, uh, has, is lost that as well. Not to mention that we have smart devices that can distract us during when we watch new and old stuff. It's true. What I will tell you is that your need to have physical media is influencing our children's willingness to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Because when I say, let's watch a movie, they don't think, let's go pick a movie on Netflix. They want to go pick a disc. They yeah. find the movies that are available for streaming less exciting than coming downstairs to dad's room and going to the shelf and picking out a DVD. Picking out Toy Story 4, which is on Disney+. Yeah, Plus for reals. Yeah. Um, and just, or Toy Story 1 or 2, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Just a, just this past weekend, um, Marshall, our three-year-old, picked out the movie, and he wanted to watch Kung Fu Panda, which I had tried to get the kids to watch a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. fucking not interested whatsoever. Yeah. This year, turn it on, they're giggling, they're laughing, they're loving it, but it was special because it was like, we took we it. picked it, yeah. It's this disc, and we're putting it in. So I think your obsession with... It helps that that movie's good. But, yeah, it um, is good. It, it helps that your physical media is, for them, creating a separation between the the overwhelming quantity of choices to the specialness of a disc. So then my other question is, and we're way far off from playing strings and audibles, but the only thing that I would say that our kids have latched onto so far that was like mine or you, probably more me, is toy- they love all the Toy Stories. Like, very much so. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not influenced by you at all. Well, no, but regard. here's the funny thing about that, and this is why I would say <laughs> that. Um, I love Ninja Turtles. I've, we've not had one kid that, like, they kind of placate me when they say they like Ninja Turtles, but they don't love they it. Do. To a point, which kid was I talking to? So during Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. we're this into Thanksgiving, you do, like, this disguise a turkey art craft mm-hmm. where you get a picture of a turkey and you disguise it. I showed three of the kids, one that was disguised like a, a Ninja Turtle, and I go, oh, do you want to do a Ninja Turtle? And every single one of them said what? They said, no, even the three-year-old, no, daddy liked Ninja Turtle. Daddy liked that's Ninja Turtle. daddy. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like, no matter what I do, and I don't, I don't, I don't push anything on them really, but, you know, they know that I like certain things and certain franchises. They know that I grew up with Ninja Turtles. It doesn't really matter to them. Mm-hmm. Not really. They'll sometimes watch it and pretend they're excited or be, you know, they occasionally like it, but not really, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Toy Story, they seem to attach. And I don't know, and this is my question, is it because even the first Toy Story is CGI and they, that's just what most ca- kids' cartoons look like? And so that one 
gets a pass because it looks relatively still looks like the ones that come out now. Yeah. Versus like, yeah, because I mean, we've shown them Aladdin. Great movie. They like, they say they like it. Little Mermaid, Cinderella, they like them, but it's never the one they want to rewatch. They want to rewatch Moana. They want to rewatch Frozen. They want to watch Toy Story. They don't want to rewatch those. And I don't know if it's because of the way the way it looks or it's just because, and my, my answer would be Toy Story is a really good franchise. Really it's good really characters. good characters. It's right. a little bit different. It plays in their world. And there's like four entries that are their great. Toys come right. to life. It's not just some random animal character. But I don't know if um, it, it, is that the only thing that's going to endure. But that's the other thing yes. is that we Pixar have a, Disney will continue. Well, to no, endure. and that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> we've I've shown them Star Wars, like at least the older two kids, right? Whatever. But they don't care about Star like Wars. Seven. If at that age, if you showed, I me, saw Star Wars at seven. I saw it too, and I was like, "This is fucking boring." I liked it. No, but this is my point: <laughs> is that I mean, we've changed the industry so much that it doesn't matter if you if your kids like original Star Wars. They have Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. That's cooler. That's new. They we we have replaced like re- reverence for the original or the best with we'll just make another one. Mm-hmm. They don't need Jurassic Park. They know, our kids know, they don't know Jurassic Park. They haven't seen Jurassic Park, but they saw the Jurassic World Netflix TV series. Mm-hmm. And they know Jurassic Park as Jurassic World. That's, to me, fucking infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, they're not as, I mean, it's just not as good. I mean, I, I like that Netflix series. I like the first Jurassic World. Okay. The second one, Jurassic Mansion, I hate, but, well, that was so bad. um, you know, and not, not like the other Jurassic Park sequels are particularly good, but I mean, just the fact that I, but I saw Jurassic Park as a kid, 1993, when it came out. So I have a reverence for it. Whereas they're just like, oh, well, they got, we got that. It's Jurassic World. It's on Netflix. We can just watch it. When's that next season coming out? We don't need to watch the new, the old <laughs> Jurassic Park. We'll just wait till that next season of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous comes out. I think that we've, the industry has changed to not revere one single thing. It's all about quantity and giving us something new and more, even though it's the same. We're getting the same stories over and over again. But anyway, I don't know. I just, that's my question. I don't know if planes, trains, and automobiles, especially if I don't, you know, I think it's fine and you never feel like watching it, even though you love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, um, I, I feel like I ranted. I, I thought maybe, I don't know. You did rant there for a little while, but that's okay. I was just trying to like, you know, was, have a discussion about what, this is. I don't know. It is. It's good. Um, I need some more tea, so are you ready for a little tea time with Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I'm about spent, but sure. <laughs> I mean, you did just rant for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a little break. So, tea time with I Tyler. Should, you know what I should have done? I should have wrote it down and got paid to print it somewhere. Instead you of just putting it out on the internet for free. S- you still can. Oh, I still can. Yeah, now, Probably that, still now that you've, like, you know, well, initialized I'll, those thoughts. I'll get my brain. thoughts in more in line. I should have wrote it first, and then it would have sounded real Listen, smart. We don't if need I had you to lose weight. Just tighten See, it's those kinds of quotes. You just grab a few and see people who don't know us have no idea. So that's from Knocked Up, a movie that I don't think will endure because it's already considered like... um, uh, Not of the time? Politically incorrect. That's the (laughs) Right? I mean, oddly, right? It's still a funny movie, but because of... Is it politically incorrect? I think a little bit. Like, because of how the Catherine Heigl character comes off as like this person who's trying to you know, make the man child grow up. It it like it plays off as like we like Seth Rogen and the woman is shrill. Like it it comes off that way. I think I think that's overplayed a little bit. Mm. And it, it factors into cause Catherine Heigl made comments about Judd Apatow and the experience gotcha. of making it. Gotcha. But I feel like we've that's the conversation on that a little bit. 
So I don't know if it endures past, um, because maybe that's going to be even more antiquated as we go along and our kids have no concept of like a dad that didn't want to like be helpful to the the girl that he banged, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like it's a, uh, maybe that's, I would hope that maybe that's just an old idea that is it's never an old idea. Yeah. It comes off as old. Well, to bring it back to planes, trains and oh, automobiles, yeah. which is the topic of this episode. Yes. Um, for this tea time, in the 20 seconds it takes me to refill my teacup, mm-hmm. can you please, Tyler, tell me as many movies as possible that John Candy stars in? <laughs> Ooh, you're spilling uh, water. Uh, well, he's in Uncle Buck. He's in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He's in Cool Runnings. He's in Home Alone. He's in uh, The Great Outdoors. He is in, like, Canadian Bacon. Uh, which, oh, by the way, we didn't talk about his book that he was reading at the airport, which I thought was kind of funny. It was like the Canadians. What was it called? The Canadian Steed or something? I wrote uh, it down. <laughs> it was something sexual. I like that joke, actually. I never caught that before. I'm distracting the myself picture, from that listing. Yeah, you failed. Um, it's uh, the Canadian Mounted. <laughs> mounted, and it's a picture of... You can't really see it super well. It's an old book, but... Mm. Yeah. Is he in Wagon... I can't remember. Is Wagons East John Candy? That was his last yep. movie. No, it wasn't his last movie. Canadian Bacon was. No, Canadian Bacon came out before that, I nope, thought. No, 95. Wagons East came out in 94. And then what's weird is that... Oh, because I get... Because Chris Farley died relatively close to when he made Almost Heroes, which is a very similar type of uh, yeah. movie. But he made Wagons East. He made... Um, rookie of the Year. Oh, yeah. He's... Yeah, he's in Rookie of the Year. He's the announcer. It's great. Not he's a big part, announcer. but... Um, yeah, I, lo- I love him in that, actually. He's in some movies I've definitely not seen. He is JFK. in a movie called, um, where he's Delirious. like a spy. Only the Lonely. Delirious, I've seen. Career Opportunities. Nothing no. but Trouble. Oh, God, we that movie's th- the worst, but yep. Traveling Wilburys. Wilbury Twist. Original. Oh, that's a short. Okay. The Who's rescue- Harry Crumb? That's one. Oh, The Rescue is Down Under. He voices yep. somebody. He's a voice Home of- Alone. Yep. Masters of Menace. He's Who's Harry Crumb? He's in that, right? What year did that come out? Around the Uncle Who's Buck Harry time. Who's Harry Crumb? 1989. Yeah. Okay, yep. Uncle Buck, Masters of Menace, Home Alone. Oh, I said all those. I got a lot of Great them. Outdoors. I got she's, most of the big she's ones. She's having a baby. Look, I got most of the good, big, big ones. What is the movie She's Having a Baby? Oh, gosh, Because that's he vague. plays Chet from The Great Outdoors, uncredited. So what is that movie? I'm trying to remember that. It's been a long time. Maybe it's just like a main, same director or something like that, and he just kind of pops in, I, w- I would guess, maybe. Like, for being a big John Candy fan, I personally haven't seen that many movies. Well, it's because in your house, you wa- you had the VHS of Uncle Buck, and you had the VHS of Planes, Trains, and Automobile. And The Great Outdoors. And The Great Outdoors. I feel like that's the three. And by the way, we haven't done a Great Outdoors episode, but that's another weird one where... The things that I love about the Great Outdoors are the certain scenes, and then there's this like teen romance teen that sucks romance. up like a half. A, you know, oh, it's so terrible. And you know, here, the funny thing about the Great Outdoors is that it was filmed at a place where we almost, as a family, moved Ugh. in California, the town. Yeah. And I'll, and it was interesting because all of the teenage stuff is kind of where that stuff takes place. And so when I, I mean, we, our family watched it, and this was when I was kind of in middle school. It was like, oh, we need to watch that again. We can kind of see where this was filmed. See where and, you're going to live, And Tyler. even then, it was like, oh, God, this part of the movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, boring. Get back yeah. to the family. Get back to the family. Get back to Get back John to the Candy bear. and uh, Dan Aykroyd kind of. I, I mean, I am curious. I remember that movie less than these ones, but. 
it's just again it 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 feeds into what do you remember about Planes, Trains, and Autos? You remember him swearing at the person. You remember the rant. You remember the car. You remember the car starting the on beats. fire. Mm-hmm. And Great Outdoors is just like, yeah, it's the bear. It's the water skiing. It's the eat the food contest. I remember the food contest. And then there's like, you know, 60 minutes of the movie that you don't really remember. Ugh. You know, Planes, Trains, Automobile, I feel, is tighter. Um, is Great Outdoors also John Hughes? I don't think it is, but I don't know. See, that's the problem. When Dan Aykroyd's involved, I don't know. I assume it's like his writing. Oh, see, that's Dan the problem. Great you gotta get tight. Of... Great Outdoors is also only an hour and a half. Yeah. It was written by John Hughes, but directed by Howard Ditch. Oh, he, John Hughes wrote it? Yeah. Well, there you go. Of course he fucking did. Of course he did, because he wrote everything. He wrote all the movies in the 80s. He did, yeah. Okay, any final thoughts on Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? No, I, I mean, I feel like in the middle part of this, I was dogging on it a little bit, and it, it, it's mostly nitpicks. It's just like some of the things that are intentionally irritating... After you've kind of it's laughed, what about few, Bob? After you've laughed a few times and you haven't been attached to it, it's just kind of annoying. And it, but I, I don't. It's not a function what of it being a poor movie when they've got no money and Steve Martin's trying to like convince the hotel guy to give him a room. I've got seventeen dollars and a very nice watch, and then John Candy's like, I have two dollars and a Casio. It's funny. That's funny. You're just staring at me. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, Tyler. Okay. Well, that's planes, trains, and automobiles. But I don't. I say I don't. I don't hold. I. I don't. I don't hold any kind of negative. I, it's just not my movie. That's all. I. There's things I like about it. Are you the John Candy or the? Steve I Martin? feel like if you because I don't think you watched What About Bob very much. I feel like if we turn that on, no, you'd be I a, watched What About Bob. I feel no, like our you'd... family loves it. Just my dad oh. fucking hates it. I mean, yeah, Richard Dreyfuss is really exasperated in that movie. Uh-huh. And you, you know, he's not, and he—that's the thing about him is that Steve Martin is a comedic. He's a comedy actor. Yeah. So he's bringing laughs, whereas Richard Dreyfuss is like a dramatic actor being exasperated, and it's just like he's. Like you know what? Over That's the top. probably a key difference. Yeah, Steve Martin. You ex- and you, as as a f- people who know Steve Martin and know his films, you expect him to be funny at some point, and yeah. you know what I mean. And so, even though he's playing straight laced, you expect something, uh, some kind I of want comedic a fucking car. Yeah, right. Fucking now. This is a good thing to end on, though. You know, did you ever? We I fast forwarded through the credits at this. Yeah. Did you had you ever watched the the stinger, the button, the post credit scene, or is I, that something that you did not know? If I did, mm-hmm. I purged it from my memory because even just now I was like, wait, what was it? So it's possible I did see it, but it's so not funny to me. It's almost uns. I would say it's not a, not hugely successful, and for this reason. It is the boss at the beginning of the movie who's going really slow over the paperwork and Steve Which Martin's trying the, to leave. Which is the kickoff of annoying characters in this man's life. But even in a 90-minute movie, it's almost like you like when it gets back, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how this movie started. And it's just like it's so far away from yeah, where we were so far away. that it's like it doesn't register as a great joke. There's a turkey, there's a turkey on the desk where he's still studying it. Mm-hmm. I think the gag in itself is kind of funny. It's just that it's like not what you remember about the movie. Yep. Mostly because like right after that scene you get like oh look at that it's kevin bacon yes and that's all you can think about it would have been funnier to have a kevin bacon thing yes that, that would have been, been a much better tag i would agree end. kevin bacon though he's good oh he's what about good. tremors oh my right? god he's so good yeah we love we have kevin bacon all right guys thank you for listening this has been a fun episode of old millennials remember movies i like this movie fine don't send me hate mail <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad he's he still likes he can still I be st- part of the family i listen <laughs> Yamamoto's. 
I kind of depend on the really warm socks that you guys send me at Christmas. So <laughs> if you don't send them, I'm going to be like a little bit, I'm going to feel like you disowned me. So I well, just, maybe um, you had a coming, Tyler. Maybe. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you another movie. Start back with the-